The Old Pilot's Plain Tales Billy Barker At this time of the year, whilst wearing my red poppy in remembrance, my mind often turns to those who fought in the Great War. Many nations contributed to the victory that ended with the signing of the armistice between the Allies and the Germans that ended the war and took effect at 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. Were I to single out a particular pilot from amongst those nations who fought in the air alongside the British during that long and bloody war, it might be a young Canadian, William George Barker. Born just before the turn of the century, Billy Barker grew up on the frontier of the Great Plains, riding horses, shooting, and working on his father's farm and sawmill. A good student, as often as not, his work kept him from attending classes, but he excelled in many things. In particular, he was an excellent shot with his Winchester repeating rifle and a fine horseman. He was 20 when war was declared and the call went out to the Dominion of Canada that the young men of the empire were needed to fight for the mother country. Barker answered and enlisted as a trooper with the first Canadian mounted rifles. He served as a Colt machine gunner for a year in the trenches of the Western Front and in particular in the Ypres salient of Belgium. He endured the filth and rats, the bullets cracking overhead and the unceasing artillery bombardments that filled his days. He was horrified at the carnage and before long he yearned to join what seemed to be a cleaner war being fought in the skies overhead and he applied to join the Royal Flying Corps. The RFC were suffering a shortage of observers, particularly since the Germans had developed a method for their Fokker Eindecker E3s to fire through the propeller arc. Losses amongst the slow British BE2s were high. Billy's accuracy with a machine gun was in demand, and after only six days of training, he found himself with nine squadrons. Billy did well and survived, unlike almost all of the original crews in the squadron who had died or been shot down. He even claimed his first kill when he shot down a Roland scout who dove out of the sun behind them. Barker swung round and loosed a volley that hit the German in the forehead, killing him. Two weeks later, he downed a second Roland scout in flames and was mentioned in dispatches. Barker was officially attached to the RFC, promoted to 2nd Lieutenant and posted to No. 4 Squadron, which was in great demand as the Battle of the Somme raged below and the generals needed constant aerial photo reconnaissance. He was wounded in the thigh, but such was the importance of their duties, he was simply bandaged and sent back to flying. On a mission to photograph new German defence works in their BE-2, Barker and his pilot were attacked by a pair of Albatross D-2 scouts, but they did such damage to one that they fled the scene. Getting back to the task in hand, they had almost finished when they were intercepted by four more. Again, Barker's skill with his gun scared them off, and they returned to their base with the vital photographs. 
For this and the high quality of his previous work, Barker received his first decoration, the Military Cross. On November 13, 1916, the British finally battered their way into and held the important village of Beaumont Hamel. Barker and the rest of the RFC were instructed to maintain a close watch on German activities in the area. Barker and his pilot were flying very low when they spotted a large concentration of German troops. He proceeded to send an emergency zone call. This had priority, and the artillery within the entire sector was brought to bear on this important target. In the area, the German troops were sheltering. Explosions erupted, throwing mud, men and machinery into the air. When the smoke cleared, the destruction was terrible. A formidable force of 4,000 had been broken. Barker was an ambitious man, and not content to remain an observer, he applied for pilot training. He moved to a flight school in England and soloed after an incredibly short 55 minutes of training. The training was rudimentary and there was no instruction on aerial tactics, dogfighting, evasive manoeuvres or even how to recover from a spin. It was hardly surprising that the average life expectancy of a pilot on the Western Front was only 11 days. Billy Barker returned to the front line on number 15 squadron, this time in the front cockpit of an RE-8. Hardly an improvement on the cumbersome BE-2s, it wasn't a match for the German Albatross D-2s or the Halberstadt scouts. Nevertheless, he soon shot down one. He quickly gained a reputation for being one of the best recce pilots on the front and was again mentioned in dispatches for accuracy directing artillery fire onto a trench filled with German troops preparing for an attack. Moments after, he was targeting two long-range artillery guns, and during this flight, his aircraft was so peppered with bullet and shrapnel holes that it collapsed on landing, never to fly again. This action gained him a bar to his military cross. In August that year, he was injured by a shard of shrapnel that struck his head. He passed out from blood loss but his observer brought him round again in time to land his badly damaged aircraft by pouring liquor down his throat from a flask. With his wound patched up, he returned to duty. A short rest spell in the UK followed, with Barker instructing new pilots, but not happy to be away from the action, he pestered his superiors for a posting to a scout squadron flying one of the new Sopwith camels. Frustrated with the delay, he beat up the headquarters building until his paperwork was hastened through, probably to get him out of their hair, and he headed off to 28th Squadron as a flight commander flying the camels on the Western Front. His first combat mission was in October 1917, escorting a group of bombers when the expected swarm of new and capable enemy Albatross D-3 fighters came up at them. In the 15-minute dogfight that followed, Barker literally shot the wings off a green Albatross. Two days later, Barker became an ace by shooting down two more. He was leading a flight of six camels and they were strafing a line of soldiers in a rainstorm when they were surprised by a flight of albatrosses. 
Two camels from his flight immediately spun into the mud, and Barker was fighting for his life. Bullets shot through his fuselage from the tail up to the cockpit. Turning as tightly as he could, he barely cleared a copse of trees and then unexpectedly pulled up into a loop. He levelled off only a few feet from the ground behind the albatross and fired a burst into it, sending the plane crashing into the ground. Another albatross got behind him and Barker repeated the manoeuvre to shoot down his sixth aircraft. Two days following this encounter, he downed his seventh German fighter. He might well have become the leading ace on the Western Front, but the Italians fighting in the Austro-Hungarian offensive were suffering, and the RFC sent four squadrons to the Italian front to give aid. Italy was a far cry from the muddy trenches of France. Their airfield was backed by the snow-capped Alps, and the only real discomfort was having to live in tents. The Austrians had been fighting the demoralised Italian Regia Aeronautica and didn't expect to be confronted with experienced pilots from the Western Front. Barker opened the aerial killing for the British when his flight of four camels were jumped by twelve albatrosses. After twenty minutes of dogfighting, he ended the skirmish by downing one of their opponents. In his combat logbook, Barker wrote... I dived onto one and fired about 50 rounds, and he went down in a vertical dive. I followed, and as he flattened out at 5,000 feet, I got a burst off of 80 rounds at close range. His top wing folded back to the fuselage, and later the lower wing came off. Barker quickly became renowned as one of the war's top balloon busters. These observation balloons, or to be more correct, aerostats, were used by both sides to elevate artillery spotters so that they could watch the fall of the shell fire. Highly flammable hydrogen gas was used to inflate the balloons, so they were very vulnerable to tracer bullets covered with flammable phosphorus. However, they were also very well protected by anti-aircraft guns and long-range machine guns, so balloon-busting was a risky business. Despite this, Barker and his companion Hudson often went about as a pair and coordinated their attacks so that one kept the gunner's heads down whilst the other attacked the balloons. They risked admonishment by frequently going out together on extra flights to practice their attacks, and once they had their teamwork perfected, their attacks became relentless. The wing commander wrote, Captain Barker observed that thick ground mist made conditions ideal for attacking balloons. He and Lieutenant Hudson flew to where two large observation balloons and three small ones were closely parked a few feet in the air. Captain Barker and Lieutenant Hudson attacked the large balloons which caught fire and all five were destroyed. There was no interference from the ground except desultory and very badly aimed firing from two heavy tracer batteries near the balloons. Christmas Day had Barker with two others paying the Austrian pilots a visit. On cardboard they wrote, To the Austrian Flying Corps from the English RFC, wishing you a Merry Christmas. 
They then proceeded to fly across the field wingtip to wingtip, firing their incendiary Buckingham bullets into the open doors of the hangars. Soon the planes and hangars were burning fiercely. They swooped around and shot up the air raid trenches, where the mechanics and some of the pilots were trying to hide. They killed twelve and wounded many others. The trio made it back and quietly persuaded the mechanics to patch the bullet holes, as unauthorised flying was banned. In reply, after a day of drinking and brooding, on the morning of Boxing Day, the Austrians headed out for revenge. Most were still drunk when at 8am they were roused to avenge the insult. They couldn't even maintain position in the air and soon became scattered. Barker was awakened by the air raid alarm and the whole squadron jumped to their camels. The Austrians were in disarray and mistakenly bombing a nearby airfield when 29 squadron and some Italian planes intercepted them. A large melee ensued which resulted in the loss of 12 Austrian aircraft, one by Barker. Six enemy machines came down all around the RFC aerodrome. One Austrian plane landed on the British field and they ran out to capture the wounded pilot but found him out cold from drink. Another captured Austrian was still wearing his formal mess dress uniform under his leather flying coat. Barker's exploits became legend, and he was tasked with all sorts of special missions, such as dropping enemy spies behind enemy lines. His count of kills grew, as did his row of medals. The citation for his second bar to his military cross read, Captain William George Barker, DSOMC, for conspicuous gallantry and devotion to duty. When leading patrols, he on one occasion attacked eight hostile machines, himself shooting down two, and on another occasion, seven, one of which he shot down. In two months, he himself destroyed four enemy machines and drove down one and burned two balloons. Moving forward to September 1918, has Barker flying the Sopwith Snipe? He was supposed to be commanding a training school in England, but had wrangled a chance to visit the Western Front. At 22,000 feet, he spotted a German recce aircraft below him and dove to attack. He first killed the rear gunner before sending the shattered aircraft to Earth but Barker had failed to spot a Fokker D-7 fighter climb up behind him. The first he knew was when an explosive bullet shattered his right femur. Despite his injury, Billy fought the German and circled behind, shooting his fuel tank and sending him down in flames. His fight, however, had dropped him right into a Yasta, a German fighter squadron of an entire circus made up of nearly 60 Fokkers. His tiny snipe was being chewed to shreds, and he was hit in the left thigh, but fighting back valiantly, he drove two Fokkers down in spins. Fainting from pain and blood loss, his aircraft fell out of control for several thousand feet. 
When he came around, he was amongst a second yester, and in desperation he charged at a nearby Fokker, firing all the way. Just before they collided, the enemy aircraft blew apart, but Barker's left elbow had been hit and completely shattered. Fainting a second time, he came around in a spin, and on recovery, he found himself on the tail of another Fokker, which he shot down in flames. Trying to disengage, he was harried by a German flight who shot off his fuel tank. With his engine faltering, he switched to the small reserve tank and evaded until he crossed the Allied lines before crash landing. Members of a Highland regiment pulled him from the wreckage and were amazed to find him alive. Thousands of British soldiers, including Canada's General Andrew McNaughton, had watched the whole fight and were cheering lustily as Barker unbelievably beat his way through an entire German circus. He remained unconscious for several days in hospital in Rouen. In the aftermath, he received congratulatory telegrams from the King, the Prince of Wales and Lord Hamilton. On November the 20th, 1918, he was awarded the Victoria Cross and was again inundated with congratulations from Prime Minister Borden, the Canadian General Staff and the one that meant the most to him, from Lieutenant Colonel Billy Bishop. His years after the war were filled with constant pain, debilitation and depression. He missed the hard and fast life of combat. Then, quite unexpectedly, whilst test flying a new aircraft for the new Royal Canadian Air Force, at only 200 feet, his aircraft turned inverted and crashed nose first into a field. There was no indication of a fault in the aircraft, and nobody really knows what happened. It doesn't really matter. He died an ace, a hero, and the most decorated serviceman in the history of Canada. music by bensounds.com